hello there and welcome to Pick 6 Movies. It's a brand new year and you know what that means. It's time for New Year's resolutions. What are you resolving to do this year? Get a little more healthy, maybe get a new job, uh, listen to more podcasts where the hosts select a theme for six different movies, then on each episode provide history behind how each of the movies were made, and then on top of that give you, the listener, an extensive review of each movie to determine if they're any good? Well, you know what? We can help you out with at least one of those, and it's not the one about a job or getting healthy. And when I say we, to whom am I referring? Why, none other than my lifelong friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell, and me, Chad Cooper. This is episode four of the current season's theme, Once in a Lifetime, featuring six made-for-TV movies on the Lifetime Network. Now, the first half of this season, we're all peppermint-scented and holiday-themed, filled with good tidings and cheer and a nutcracker man and an internet-famous cat and a yuletide stalker. That sure was a bunch of fun. But this is a new year, and in this episode, we're making a turn for the truly disturbing as we dive headfirst into the filth and deviant muck that is what you really want when you watch a Lifetime made-for-TV movie. And boy, does this episode do that. Now, this episode features the sequel to the film adaptation of the B.C. Andrews novel, Flowers in the Attic, a disturbing little part two known as Petals on the Wind. It's a demolition derby of disturbing, disgusting deeds done dirt cheap. And if you've never seen it, don't. Just listen to Bo and I discuss this movie, and we'll save you about 90 minutes of embarrassment and shame and replace it with a bunch of stupid jokes and silly voices and cinematic confusion. So without any more delay, let's just get Bo in here to introduce us to the life and times and writings of the one and only B.C. Andrews as we descend into a world of heebies and jeebies and siblings that go bump in the night. Bo? Ugh, gross. Take it away, please. Oh boy, I need to find a movie for this season. Once you get past those Lifetime Christmas movies, there seems to be nothing but sordid trash. We're trying to do a family show here. Hey, speaking of Pick 6 family, I have an idea. Hey, Pick 6 spot. Stay out of my room. You don't understand me. Whoa, what's happening in here? Wait a second. Clove cigarettes. There's Cure Plane. You're wearing black lipstick on your chassis. Wait a second, I know what this is. You're going through some kind of robot puberty. I am not. You're stupid. I'm not going back to robot school. You don't go to school. Stop trying to run my life. Alright, alright. I guess this was bound to happen. Maybe we should have a talk about, you know, changes. Your robot body might be going through some things and you might be having feelings that are hard to describe and process. Can it? Not dad. I have all the information I need right here. Ow! What is this? Flowers in the attic? Oh no. That's right. I know all about the sex now. You understand this is just a story, right? And not a very good one? I have access to all human knowledge. Yes, I know this is fiction, but that doesn't make it any less scary. Or hot. Hot? You bet your donuts. Chris is so dreamy. Alright, maybe you don't need to hear about the birds and the bees, but you should probably get some context for this book you're reading. You know this was never meant for kids. I'm not a child anymore. I'm old enough to read what I want. Well, on that point you're not alone. When V.C. Andrews first published this book in 1979, it was never intended for kids. It was pitched, sold, and published as a book by and for grown-ups. 
Featuring the instantly recognizable cutout cover with a young girl's face framed in a window, it quickly became the stuff of urban legend. Did you hear about the book where the brother and sister do it? And specifically in the book, this isn't just incest, this is rape. While the movies, including the Lifetime adaptation we'll be touching on later, tend to romanticize the relationship between the Dollinganger siblings, in the original novel, the first time Chris and Kathy do the hunka chunka, as scientists have called it, Chris forces himself on Kathy. After, when he apologizes for his actions, Kathy tells him she could have stopped him anytime she wanted. It's a bit of a cop-out to be sure, but readers of the time didn't seem to mind. In fact, it's that sort of thing that is precisely why Flowers in the Attic became so popular with young women. Well, popular with young women readers. It was almost universally panned by critics. The Washington Post called it, quote, deranged swill that may well be the worst book I ever read. While the critics derided the book's lurid subject matter, the reading public couldn't get enough. And with the news stories covering the book's publication, which also dropped salacious hints about what was contained between the covers, the popularity grew. And soon, teenage girls would make the book and the entire V.C. Andrews catalog something of an institution. To get into the whys and wherefores of young women's fascination with these books, and it is a peculiarly female readership, I will lean on the writings of an essayist by the name of Autumn Whitefield Madrano, who speaks to this subject far better than I could, what with never having been a teenage girl and all. She lists three reasons why Flowers in the Attic, and by extension the work of B.C. Andrews, was so appealing. First, incest is hot. Not real incest, of course, but the idea of incest, or the underlying ideas at least. The notion of consensual incest, and stay with me in Autumn Whitefield Madrano for a minute on this, isn't necessarily about fucking your brother, but about preteen sexuality and the relative safety of family. Preteen girls are starting to feel all kinds of hormonal and sexual responses and are beginning to think about their own sexuality. At the same time, there is a repulsion to sexuality, often handed down culturally. The idea that, quote, good girls don't have sex the way boys do, which is to say, more freely with an eagerness to experiment and push limits a little more, instills the idea that sex for women is something to be avoided, or at the very least not pursued. So this push-pull of repulsion and sexual attraction can be addressed by combining the notion of burgeoning sexuality and the cultural imperative to hide that sexuality away with the idea of someone safe, someone loving and trustworthy, like say, a brother. In Flowers in the Attic, when Kathy and Chris have their taboo tryst, Kathy is allowed to explore sexuality with a partner she trusts implicitly and who trusts and cares for her. In much the same way Kathy views sex as both alluring and frightening, teen readers can identify with Kathy and begin to untangle their own confusing and occasionally opposing ideas of what sex should be. Also, and let me remind you, I am largely paraphrasing the work of an accomplished woman writer, rape fantasies are popular. Remember in the book Flowers in the Attic, the first time Chris and Kathy couple is an act of rape. He apologizes, sure, but that doesn't change the fact that Kathy was forced to have sex for her first time, despite her line later in the book about being able to stop it whenever she wanted. 
This too illuminates the duality of female sexuality in a culture that is generally afraid of or uninterested in exploring that subject. The fantasy of rape allows Kathy, and thus the reader, to experience sex without responsibility. Being a good girl means not pursuing sex, but if sex just happens to you, well, it's okay to want it in that case. And worth repeating, we are talking about rape fantasies here, of course, and not actual sexual assault, which is horrific in any circumstance. But about 40% of all women have entertained rape fantasies for sexual pleasure in the course of their lives, at least according to research in psychology today. And anecdotally, I can say that when I was in college, a biker named Groundhog I had a philosophy class with asked me if I was interested in fulfilling such a fantasy for a girl he and his old lady knew. The girl, whom I did not know, had suggested a time and place and all I had to do was show up, act vaguely rapey, and boom, sex happens. Now at the time, the idea of fake raping anyone was absurd, so I politely declined the offer, but in telling that story to women friends over the years, I have been genuinely shocked how many nodded along and suggested they might never have gotten to a planning stage with this, but plenty had enjoyed that fantasy. That's weird. And a little hot. I hate you for making me feel these things. Exactly. And that brings us to the second appeal of the story. Whitefield Madrano suggests that being allowed to hate a parent is part of the book's success too. We are taught from an early age to respect our parents, to love our parents, and most of us have a deep bond and trust with those caregivers. But as we mature, there is also a childish and passionate anger at our parents. As we grow into adulthood, we look to the adults in our lives, i.e. our parents, as models for what adulthood and adult human behavior means. Unfortunately, the glamorized ideals of adulthood are far richer than the truth of it. To quote our partner in this directly, Whitefield Madrano writes, quote, In my head, being a woman meant like going to balls and wearing updos and going out with a different dashing suitor every night. But then here was this flesh and blood woman who was doing things like making taco salad, end quote. At a psychological level, Andrews gave her readers permission to look at the character of Corinne, the mother who went out to balls and wore updos while her children were locked away in an attic, as an enemy, a monster to survive. And how many of us as teenagers have felt that about our families and the house we live in? And so how do these Dollinganger children survive? By escaping their mother's house and thus her control. You know, sometimes a cigar ain't just a cigar. And finally, our third reason for the book's popularity with adolescent girls, beauty. More precisely, personal recognition by young women of their own beauty and the power of their sexuality. Andrews herself talked about how she began to notice her father's friends looking at her after she turned 14 and realized that she was what men of the time considered beautiful. In Flowers in the Attic, there are several passages detailing Kathy's awareness of her own beauty, even her pride in it, resulting in her grandmother putting tar in her hair so that Kathy is forced to remove her golden mane. When Chris starts to make some moves on his sister, it's only after he acknowledges how she's grown and become a woman without him realizing it. Whitefield Madrano argues that the lapse between the awakening of female sexuality and the later arrival of male sexuality creates a frustration in adolescent girls. They're already thinking of boys while boys are busy thinking of new and different ways to blow up frogs by the crick. 
And so Andrews gave her readers another permission to see oneself as beautiful and to feel the power of such a beauty, despite what the rest of the world noticed. To close with another quote from the author herself, quote, denying that there's a lure to discovering one's own appeal does girls a disservice, particularly when young women's bodies are still the universal symbol for sex, end quote. So when V.C. Andrews' editor read the final draft of Flowers in the Attic, which Ann Patty says she did in one long gulp, as she put it, she and the good people at Pocket Books wanted a sequel. So Ann Patty flew to Virginia to meet the author, and there she and we will meet V.C. Andrews in the flesh for the first time. What Patty was shocked by first was that V.C. Andrews, whose real name was Cleo Virginia Andrews, was trapped in a wheelchair. The author, who was 56 when Flowers in the Attic was published, had lived in that chair for most of her life. Her parents were middle class, a telephone operator and a tool and die maker. And apart from her youthful beauty, there wasn't much exceptional about her rearing. She later joked that the reason her books were so scandalous was a result of the frightfully mundane childhood she'd endured. Until her teen years, when an accidental fall down some stairs would leave her back and hips so damaged and broken, she would battle aggressive and chronic arthritis for her entire life, further complicated by bone spurs on her hips that would place her in that wheelchair. She spent much of her adult life living with her mother and dabbled in fiction over the years, but it wasn't until 1975 that she completed her first draft of Flowers in the Attic. Andrew said it was based on a true story, but the details surrounding this admission are a little suspect. The best suggestion comes from a family member of Andrew's who said that Andrew's developed a bit of a crush on a doctor treating her injuries. It was his story that Andrew's took for Flowers in the Attic as he revealed to the author that he and his siblings were locked in an attic for six years for the sake of a family fortune. This has never been confirmed, but it does make a nice bit of legend. When editor Ann Patty sat with Andrews to discuss a sequel, Andrews served powdered donuts as a sly nod to the novel, and the two had a grand afternoon pitching all manner of wickedness to befall the surviving flowers of that attic. Petals on the Wind was the result of this, and we're going to be talking way more about that in a minute. Then came If There Be Thorns and then Seeds of Yesterday, all following Chris and Kathy and their kids. She published a standalone novel entitled My Sweet Audrina, which is predictably bonkers, and established some other gothic series, and then V.C. Andrews died. The woman who came to success late in life enjoyed it only a short while before breast cancer robbed her of her golden years. As tragic as her passing was, her agent, Anita Diamant, had part of another novel of hers completed, and nothing is going to stop the capitalism train, especially the death of the creator of a popular franchise. Writer Andrew Niederman had a few thrillers under his belt, notably the book The Devil's Advocate, upon which the movie was based, when Diamant approached Niederman with an unfinished manuscript. Garden of Shadows was to be a prequel to the Dollinganger series, and Niederman went to work studying the style of V.C. Andrews until he could do a fair pastiche. When Garden of Shadows was released, it did gangbusters, and Niederman became the second person to use the pseudonym V.C. Andrews. He said he would often work on two novels at once, one for himself, one for the Andrews Library, setting up two workstations so he had but to turn himself to shift from one story 
and one persona to another. It wasn't until a lawsuit in 1994 that Andrew Niederman was revealed to be the author of most of V.C. Andrews' work. As of 2019, he was still writing about three V.C. Andrews novels a year, most of them following the female-centric southern gothic roots of the original author's work. Now, obviously, here on Pick 6 Movies, we don't like to linger on books too much on account of all the reading, so we turn our attention now to the movies. Flowers in the Attic was first adapted for the screen in 1987 when Wes Craven of Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream fame was attached to write and direct. When the studio read his treatment, they felt it was a little too incesty for modern audiences and showed Craven the door. That's a big sexy deal in the book. It was, and also, eh. Even though Andrews had final script approval, she couldn't stop producers from hacking up the approved script afterward. The incestuous relationship was tossed along with the book's original ending. Notably, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest's nurse Ratchet, Louise Fletcher, plays the grandmother matriarch, and the chase's own Christy Swanson is cast as Kathy. See Season 10, Episode 6 for more on The Chase. While filming was wrapping up, the original writer and director, Jeffrey Bloom, was so frustrated by the producer's continued meddling with the ending, he walked off the film. The conclusion was shot with a journeyman at the helm and pieces of Wes Craven's script. A test screening resulted in the incestuous bits being cut, along with an ending involving Louise Fletcher menacing the kids with a butcher knife. The original cut was a solid R, and producers wanted to make sure that the teen girls who read the R-rated book could get in to see the PG-13 rated movie. The final cut test screened more successfully, ensuring no one who cared about the actual material would be happy with it. To accommodate the changes, the film was pushed more than six months for reshoots and editing and was finally unveiled to the world in November of 1987. And it was a disappointment, critically, financially, and as an adaptation of the novel. Fans hated all the changes and the omissions, critics hated the dry and lifeless tone of the film, and audiences frankly couldn't be bothered to care about this toothless adaptation of a book most of them hadn't read. One critic called it, quote, incredibly tame and downright boring. While rumors swirled of an adaptation of Petals on the Wind, which Christy Swanson had an actual script of, it never took off in the wake of the first film's disappointing reception. That is, until 2014, when the Lifetime Network made a deal to adapt the Dollinganger series as original films for the network. In 2013, they announced they had tapped Heather Graham, aka Roller Girl from Boogie Nights, as Corinne Dollinganger, the mother, and Ellen Burstyn of Exorcist and Requiem for a Dream fame, yeah, you'll forget that Regan's mom is on all those pills, as the grandmother, Olivia. Kiernan Shipka filled the role of Kathy, and she's gone on to do great work in Oz Perkins' excellent February and The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, Mason Dye shows up as the brother Chris, who starred in Teen Wolf, but not the old one, so I never saw it. And then Petals on the Wind, the subject for tonight's discussion, aired a couple of months later in the same year. Petals on the Wind would bring back Heather Graham and Ellen Burstyn in their roles and recast an adult Kathy and Chris. Rose McIver, who was the main character in the iZombie adaptation for the CW, filled the ballet slippers of Kathy, and Wyatt Nash would become the adult Chris. He's mostly known for TV work like Glow and Riverdale. Nick Searcy, a personal favorite of mine, shows up briefly as the father of Chris's would-be girlfriend Sarah, and not once does he have an opportunity to say the name 
Raylan, which is a really big disappointment. Lifetime scored some big numbers for these V.C. Andrews adaptations, and have since adapted the entire Dollinganger series and several other V.C. Andrews storylines into films. And I, for one, couldn't be happier. You know, sometimes a little trash is good for the soul. How is that supposed to help me with robot puberty? You know, I honestly don't remember. Look, all you gotta do is listen to that first Violent Femmes record for a couple of years, try not to start any fires at robot school, and remember that Chad and I will always be here for you. Thanks. For nothing. Eh, that feels right. Before we begin our look at Petals on the Wind, we should catch you valuable listeners up on our story so far. Previously on Flowers in the Attic. Christopher and Corinne Dollinganger have it all. Four beautiful kids, social status, and money. When Chris dies in a car accident, the family is left in debt, and Corinne has to take her four kids, Chris, not the dead one, Kathy, Carrie, and Corey, ugh, these alliterative names, to her family home in Virginia, Foxworth Hall. There they meet grandmother Olivia, who calls them illegal and tells them to keep the guest room. They are locked in free of any traces of their existence. See, Corinne has to pretend she has no kids on account of her having married her half-uncle on her dad's side, so she can get an inheritance, and they can all leave Foxworth Hall rich. The kids are crowded into the attic, and Corinne stops visiting because she's hooked up with a lawyer, and who needs kids anyway? Chris starts to get the eye for Kathy, who he catches trying on her first bra, and Olivia the grandmother gets pissed at both of them and ultimately puts star in Kathy's hair. Chris helps her cut it and says she's hot for his sister. Corinne shows up to say she got married to this lawyer named Bart. Chris and Kathy make out a little bit, and then Chris gets a copy of the guest room key, enabling them to plot and escape. They start stealing money from Corinne's purse, and Chris and Kathy finally do it. Afterwards, Kathy suggests they go to Florida, where that sort of thing isn't as frowned upon. The mother poisons the kids with powdered donuts, which ultimately kills Corey, who is placed in a trunk and never buried, which must have been stinky. The remaining kids trick Olivia into the attic, who has a claustrophobic panic attack and enables the kids to get out the window and down to the grounds, where they escape to a train to Florida. Kathy vows revenge on their mother Corinne. And now. Let's get Chad in here for our next exciting installment. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's 2014's Petals on the Wind. Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, Pick 6 Movies. I, of course, am Bo, as ever. With me, the uh, the lovely, the talented, the occasionally locked in an attic, Chad Cooper. How are you, sir? Oh, deja vu. A lot of people don't know that uh, Flowers in the Attic, the uh, the first film in the Dollinganger series, was the, the story of your childhood. A little bit, a little bit. Oh. I fell asleep in a closet one time, and I got up, and I didn't know where I was, and then I went outside and played. So it's similarities. Nothing litigious, mind you, but still, there's some some notes yeah. within the two storylines that are comparable. Oh, and I had sex with my brother and my sister. You know, that kind of goes without saying. So we are talking about not Flowers in the Attic. We're talking about Petals on the Wind. Yes. And in our fourth episode of this season, Once in a Lifetime, the first three episodes were all Christmas movies. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, we had the Nutcrackers that came mm-hmm. to life. Sentient and- cats that were cracking wise. Sure, as they do, and even in the darkest of those movies, uh, Dear Santa, it was a stalker that just wanted to insert herself into a family's life uh, so that she could love them. Sure, it wasn't about a brother who wanted to insert his penis into his sister so that he could love her, which (laughs) is what we have here. Yeah, that is the thrust of this movie, and it's what makes it absolutely crazy. Please stop saying thrust (laughs) and insert. I, I, I feel so gross already oh oh sir uh we are gonna go some 
some deep and dark crevasses <laughs> this evening. But the thing that's interesting to me is when we first were assembling the movies for this season, I was like, oh yeah, we should do Flowers in the Attic because I had heard Lifetime did a, an adaptation of it. And I've always been sort of interested from afar in the uh, the books of B.C. Andrews and sort of why they were popular as much as anything. And then I watched Flowers in the Attic and I was like, well, that was kind of nuts. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't crazy. No. And then I watched Petals on the Wind, which is the direct sequel, of course, to Flowers in the Attic. And it, Chad, is crazy. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, and vile. I, I've watched the whole series on uh, of the Lifetime movies. I've seen all of them. I haven't, and I won't. I've seen those first two, and I'm done. I'm tapping out. Sure, I get it. But uh, there is part of me, Chad, that loves... It's it's sort of a, a convergence, of a Venn diagram, of if you will, of interests of mine. One of them being, of course, bad movies. I enjoy that uh -huh. movie. Sure. And I also like campy trash. And this movie is both of those things. Right. It's a bad movie that is just filled with campy trash. So the Venn diagram for me, there's one circle that is incest movies. And then way over there is another circle that says me. These two things don't overlap at all. I can't say that I've seen a lot of incest movies, but you know, I don't know that I have a knee jerk negative response. When I think of incest movies, the number one movie that comes to my mind is David O. Russell's Spanking the Monkey, which is a very dark, dark comedy. And if you haven't seen that movie, it's about a kid who's in college and he has to come home and take care of his mom who's broken her leg. And he's a little, you know, sexually frustrated and they end up having sex and things really get out of control. I do not recommend watching this movie, but when I saw it, I was like, this is uncomfortably artistic and freaky and weird. And I thought, I never, ever want to see another incest movie again. And then you brought this to me and, you know. I've been pulled down into the muck and mire of grossness. So every, thank you. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> you know, of course, there's the classic cousin cuisine, or maybe that was just Arrested Development. I don't know. I like that this movie begins with a disclaimer that says, following program contains some material that may not be appropriate for young viewers. Parental discretion is advised. And I'm thinking, this warning doesn't come anywhere close to the warning that should be on this film. It should say, warning, the following program contains material that is not suitable for all viewers. Parental discretion is mandatory. This film contains incest, murder, adultery alcoholism filicide suicide domestic abuse creepy dolls creepy old people a lack of moral compass and a genuine sense of amorality good luck people yeah it's very like look people this is gonna be filthy i think that the lack of this warning in front of most lifetime movies is sort of an indication of just how bad this is it's sort of like if you go to a beach and you're you're kicking around and somebody comes up and starts nailing down a caution shark sign into the sand. You're like, wait a second. I wasn't worried about sharks until just now. I don't know, man. I see a lot of TV shows that say, warning, some material may not be appropriate for younger viewers. I mean, everything about this is inappropriate for younger viewers. <laughs> yeah, that's really why I enjoy it. So it, we open, Chad, in yes. South Carolina in 1970, which is 10 years it tells us after the situation in the attic in Flowers in the Attic, the synopsis of which uh, you just heard a minute ago. 
Right. Is this what dedicated androids call that first installment? The attic? Because that's what it says, like 10 years after the attic. So what do they call this one? Is it pedals? Is that what they call that? A, a lot of times it's uh, it's just potwa. Uh, they'll shorten it that way. Part three is ew. And then I'm assuming chapter four is Yeah. Just I want to talk about these kids because we start yeah. off and you say we're at a graveyard. Somebody's dead and it's 10 years later. All right, all right. But I just want to just a level set for those of you who have luckily never seen this film. We got our big brother, Christopher, That's who's right. like, what, 26, 27 right now? Yeah, something like we that fi- big lantern jawed son of a bitch. Sure. Yeah. We find out later he's a third year medical student. Mm-hmm. Then we have the older sister, Kathy, who is about, what, 25? 24 25 something in in that neighborhood you would think okay and then we got a younger sister carrie Mm -hmm. who's probably what 15 16 yeah yeah that sounds right okay i just want to level set so that you know what we're dealing with here and at this funeral there's about 20 mourners and we get the boilerplate eulogy yay though i walk through the valley of death blah 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 blah. yeah and then and then right so (laughs) then kathy the older sibling the sister gives a speech about like we had everything and then we lost it all left at a bus station with nothing but thirty dollars to our name don't ask how i earned that cash yeah they stole it from their mom they were found by millie no hetty hetty sorry the help (laughs) i don't know millie probably made it up and then she took him to doc this dr sheffield dude who, who is now dead they grow up as adopted children of this Dr. Sheffield, who we never saw in the first movie and never saw in this movie. For, uh, I hope he made them sleep in separate rooms so that they quit having sex with each other. Real stand-up guy there, Bo. Amen. I think that's the implication, is that after the attic, Kathy and Chris have kept it in their pants. And that's largely the problem in this movie, is they are desperate to fuck. Don't, you don't have to wait too long. No, it's, no, no. It's... We'll get there. So this funeral ends and our three orphaned principals, they walk away in slow motion. Uh And the younger sister, Carrie, she's wearing these black gloves that must have belonged to a wizard or a very competent magician because she starts dropping flower petals from her palm and they last for like a good 60 seconds. They just keep going and going. It's like she's pulling those rainbow handkerchiefs from out of her coat pocket. It's like when they would do the blood tube for Ackroyd when he played Julia Child. (laughs) Petals until uh <laughs> blow it all over her face and whatnot we get back to the house and there's a mourners wandering around in the background overacting while older sister kathy she's consoled by hetty the housekeeper right and, and, and she tells them that this housekeeper is like look the doctor arranged for it so i'm always gonna be your maid that is my lot in life. That is my destiny. That I have been passed from generation to generation like fine china. I don't know if I would say that, but point well taken. B- <laughs> yeah. Big big brother Christopher, he walks over to his sister Kathy and he says, uh, You look <clears throat> real sad. Do you want to go have sex? And Kathy says, No, not right now, big brother. I'm going to go console our younger sister, Carrie, which she does. She goes outside and Carrie's sitting on the ground. She's crying because she thinks that they may have to go to another bus station in hopes that another heavyset housekeeper would find them and take them to a kindly doctor's house to be raised for the duration of their lives. Right. But Kathy's like, no, it's cool, baby. You you don't have to worry about that. This house is ours now. Like we were in the scam. The old Grifton Tallinn gangers. <laughs> 
have taken this poor doctor for not only his house, but his maid too. We cut to older sister Kathy upstairs in her bedroom. She's looking at a photo of herself and the good Dr. Sheffield, RIP. And he's got his arm around her waist. And I immediately thought, oh, Kathy was having sex with this old man. And it's going to only be a matter of time before this secret's revealed. But shockingly, this turn of events does not turn. Kathy opens up the back of this picture frame and pulls out a newspaper clipping that has an article about her mother, Heather Graham, being a socialite. So that we then cut to uh, the mom, Heather Graham, and she's putting on lipstick, Bo. Mm-hmm. And also popping a couple of pills to help the evening go down a little bit better, which I appreciate. I gotta take my nerve pill. Uh, <laughs> she's there with her husband, Bart Winslow, attorney at law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's his honest-to-goodness name, Bart Winslow, attorney at law. It's amazing. He comes in and starts groping his wife, like all up and down her core from neck to waist, and then they start TV soap opera open-mouth kissing with a lot of wet... Yeah. And then the phone rings and mom, Heather Graham, she picks it up and, and she says, hello. And then another voice says, mom, it's Kathy. And then mom, Heather Graham just turns around and goes, click. Yeah. <laughs> Hangs up on her. And then like on the other side of this phone, Chris comes into Kathy's room and she's like, you're not going to believe this, but Heather Graham just hung up on me. And she's like, ever since Paul died, I've been thinking about how Paul could love us, but our own mother never could. Yeah, she's not a good mom. You want to go up to my room and bang now that our second dad's dead? No, not right now. Maybe later. His actual <laughs> line is like, uh, I don't want to think about the past. I just want to think about the future. Like, uh, the future where we go upstairs and bang. <laughs> and then we cut over to Kathy, who uh, is uh, at a ballet class with this like slave master of a teacher. Barking out all these orders. She's like, punch your toes, move gracefully, spin around. Quit being so fat. <laughs> and then her son, Julian, rolls in, who is... Oh my God. He's this Canadian version of Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused. We, we, we. But he's got this muddled British accent, but his mom doesn't have a British accent. So I was like, maybe this is one of those Madonna accents yeah. that he just picked up to sound cosmopolitan. I think he actually loses it halfway through the movie, which is odd because clearly they shot all of this guy's scenes over what, a day and a half tops? Oh, at most. I mean, the whole movie was eight. <laughs> So, yeah, he's he's a real curly-haired something. He's a ballerina, Bo. Which, yeah. if he's a male ballerina, is that a ballerino? Uh, there is a name for it, but I couldn't be bothered to look it up. I think the technical term is... <clears throat> you know, look, ballet is just not for me. Like, I appreciate the athleticism of it, and, and I just don't like watching people dance. That's what it comes down to. Watching men dance ballet just looks silly to me. And in this movie, th he certainly looks silly. And then when the women do it, I'm just thinking, their feet have got to just be a mess. Just like a mangled mash of flesh and knuckles and bone spurs and... Yeah, there's a great entry in the Korean Memento Mori series all about this, but yeah, that, it's neither here nor there, Chad. Um, <laughs> so anyway, this Julian dude shows up and Kathy is kind of giving him the eye because he's like, I'm a big fancy dancer in New York or whatever. His mom, the teacher, she calls out her son and she says, Julian dances at the second best company in New York, not the first. And then Julian starts flitting around the dance studio to show how good he is. He's kind of an asshole. And then he sees Kathy spinning in circles like three or four times and he's like, oh, look at her. She is so graceful as she spins in place. She's like a swan if they wrote a ballet about such a thing. 
We cut to older sister Kathy. She's sitting on this bench and she's nursing her bloody toes from all of the ballet tiptoe spinning she was doing. And she looks like she's been doing pirouettes on the 34th floor of the Nakatomi Plaza, babe. <laughs> Just hold that thought. But Julian <laughs> comes up and is like, oh, so you have bloody toes. You know, if you tip those tootsies up and maybe put a little cotton in the bottom of your shoe, it makes all the blood go away. If this was Kathy's first day of ever doing ballet, I'd cut her some slack. I'd be like, oh, she didn't know to do this. But Kathy is stunned to hear that she should tape up her toes to prevent rubbing. Hell, I've never danced ballet in my life. Well, not professionally. And hell, I know that. Chad, you know I did uh, dance professionally for a short time. And that is like day one kind of shit. And he's like, by the way, Kathy, you'll need to dance for yourself, not my mama. And she's like, well, I'm trying. And he goes, look, nothing is good enough for my mother not even perfection wink wink we cut to an incantations and human health class at hogwarts school of (laughs) wizards where Carrie, the youngest of our three siblings, is in a class and they're watching this reel-to-reel movie about how girls get periods and their breasts get bigger and how they can get pregnant if they have sex with a man, especially if that man is their brother or their stepfather. And she's really into this movie. And then some mean girls toss one of those origami fortune tellers onto her desk. It's like one of those squares that you can open vertically and horizontally. And she opens it up and it says, hello. And then she opens it up the other way and it says, freak. And I was like, oh, that's fortunate that she did it in that order. Because if she had ordered opened it up and said freak and then it said hello like well that wouldn't be as effective yeah well oh uh, this is for you <laughs> answered the wrong call like that's accurate and here here's the thing about carrie in my mind much like the stephen king title character this uh-huh. girl would be a fucking psychological nightmare like after having been uh, trapped in an attic by her mother who abandoned her and by inaction murdered her twin brother, she gets a sense that her brother, older brother and sister are probably fucking each other. And the only like sane adult in her life, this Dr. Sheffield dude, is now dead. The fact that she is not climbing a bell tower is a small miracle. She's got Henny. Fine. But as far as a real parental figure, I'm not talking the help. Counter argument. Number one, she is a beautiful young woman. Number two, they call her a freak. And I'm like, why is she a freak? Because she's short? Is that it? I think that's the idea is that like her time in the attic has stunted her growth. That's not how biology works. <laughs> well, look, we're not talking biology or reason or science in this movie, Chad. We're in VCU Andrews logic world. <laughs> So up is down, black is white. We're through the looking glass, people. We cut to a hospital where we meet Dr. Father-in-Law, who's walking around with some medical students, one of which is older brother Chris, who apparently is a medical student. And Dr. Father-in-Law, he asks some questions, and Chris is the only one who gets the answer right. Well, glad at least one of you is getting the answer right around here. Hey, hey, you think about women much? Because I happen to have a daughter. Who comes running up, but our 20-something daughter, redheaded Sarah, she shows up and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, is this the Christopher that you keep talking about? You're so handsome. I hope maybe someday I can fall in love and get married and have healthy, not genetically mutated babies with someone just like you. 
Yeah, he's just like, well, you know, baby girl, I I thought you two should get along. Now, listen, you you uh, knuckleheads, I don't want you going and drinking a bunch of martinis this weekend. We got surgical on Monday, and you know that means no handshaking. Barry, I'm looking at you. You smell like gin every morning. So we're we're setting all this like, hey, I'm about to shove my daughter at you, right? <laughs> kind of situation. But we leave this to go to the classiest actress in this movie who has by far and away the best line in this movie ellen burston is it don't ask me it it's don't look at me but it's genius (laughs) that is the best line that's gonna happen at the very end so we'll we'll circle back to that ellen burston who is the grandmother olivia who is now an invalid yeah she's at foxwood manor and she's got uh her own black housekeeper who's a nurse and at this time mom heather graham shows up and the nurse says your mom's a pain in the ass and then grandma ellen burston she screams out she poisoned her kids she's a murderer (gasps) yeah mom heather graham says oh you know mother you're crazy you had a stroke or something hey you there the nurse why don't you take the day off I'll handle my, this crazy old mother of mine. Don't bother taking the pills with you. Just leave them on the table. I'll administer to the her or somebody. I'm going to take all those pills. And she, this is the shit in this movie I absolutely adore, Chet. Uh, so Heather Graham starts feeding her, just, you know, pudding or whatever. And she's like, I say it's just terrible that your brain has turned to absolute mush. You can't feed yourself. You can't go poopies by yourself. Yeah. This house used to be the grandest house in all of Virginia. And Ellen Burstyn's like, this is my house. It's my house. And you can go to hell i'm not going to a goddamn nursing home and heather graham is like well mother the house is falling down around you and, and ellen person just fires back you're gonna go to hell heather graham's response is yeah yeah you told me oh chad this is the shit i just eat up with a fork and then and then heather graham is just like you know what your nurse is gone and i guess i'm just tired of taking care of your mother so you know Bye. And she just takes See off. See I don't wouldn't want to be you. Yeah. Ka-clunk. Smell um. you later. And I mean that. You do reek. Yeah, she takes off leaving her invalid mother in bed alone, uncared for, with no food or water or nothing. Oh, goddamn, I love it. We cut to some roadside diner where older sister Kathy is drinking moonshine with male ballerino Julian. And Julian says, what is your story, little Miss Perfect? And Kathy says, I don't like chit-chat, and I've never had sex with my brother. And Julian says, you're a great dancer. Come with me to New York, and I can get you a job in the second best ballet company in New York. George, the director, he is in love with me. And I was like, oh, okay. So Julian's gay. But I was like, wait a minute. Later on, it turns out he's not gay. He's just a drunk. He's probably a little curious, you know? He and this director probably had a few, and one thing led to another. He's a pedophile. Oh, 100%. Julian is a bad, bad dude uh, in a number of different ways. But yeah, so he invites her to New York. This is our first date. Come to New York with me. You don't even have to audition. That's why Kathy's like, so you want me to move with you to New York? Do I need to audition or pack a bag? Not at all. That's what makes us the second greatest ballet company in New York. No one auditions. (laughs) 
it's it is all super spontaneous. We hire anybody. It's crazy, zany, wacky. We one time we put a tutu on a dog and put it on stage. It is like uh, seeing the joke of the aristocrats happen right before your eyes. Go on stage drunk. Go on stage sober. People do not care. They do not come to see ballet. They come to see performance art. They come to be surprised. They come to be amazed. They see upon the stage. They walk out and they say, that man is shitting on the dog in the tutu. And they say, that is art. Later, he's taking her home and he like kisses her on the doorstep, which, you know, is illegal in public. And then she goes upstairs to, to start to take off her clothes. And then Chris is kind of hanging out behind her just like, oh, God. Oh, God, she's getting naked. And then he comes in and he's like, hey, where were you? It's 2 a.m. Did you have sex with that guy? Yeah. You got enough energy for round two on your home turf? <laughs> I just keep thinking about you, Kathy, and what happened in the attic when we had sex in the last movie. You ever you ever think about me that way, Kathy? And Bo. Kathy says, yes. Uh-huh. We're not even out of act one Dude, of this movie. It's minute 17 of this movie. I checked. Minute 17, and we have brother and sister fucking. <laughs> this movie is not screwing around. <laughs> this is why we're here, folks. They play this game a grab ass. Yeah. Like, they're pawing each other's butt cheeks, and then he picks her up in a very romantic fashion, and he lays her on the bed, and the piano music is tinkling in the background, and... He gets on top of his sister and he enters her and she just throws her head back in ecstasy. It, well, he even asked for the green light because right before insertion, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? And she's like, oh, yes. And they like kind of pulls him into her. So, yes, this is 100% consensual incest. Blech. Yeah, so later, they're lying in bed all post-coital and whatnot, and Chris has this big shit-eating grin on his face, and he's just like, Man, I wish we could do this forever, because of all the banging. And Kathy starts crying, because <laughs> she's the only one who seems to at least appreciate that other people might think this is gross. So- I'm going to New York, Chris, to dance in the second best ballet company. God has already punished us once, brother. And Chris says, oh, yeah, lots of women have miscarriages. Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Yeah, yeah. We. This is, a, a, again, one of those things that pops up in this movie where you're like, whoa, whoa, what? What did you just say? Yes, she had a miscarriage that was her child with her brother. So the first time they had gross sex in the first movie, she gets preggers and then she has a miscarriage. And that's how we, the audience, find out he tells us. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. This movie wants to make having sex with your sister look like the cover of a Harlequin romance novel. With the arching backs and the blowing wind and the sunsets on the horizon of the ocean. It's really just disturbing. Yeah. The heroes of our movie, Chad, their primary goal in this film is we need to be apart because if we're we're together, there's no way we're not fucking. So we need to get as far away from each other as possible. Chris says, are you going to run off with some guy? Because you're the only person that I will ever truly love. And then the movie cuts to the hallway outside of their bedroom, (laughs) where younger sister Carrie is sitting outside the door listening to all of this. (gasps) Bo, I did not think that a movie about incest (laughs) could be worse. But having your younger sister watch and listen in on an older brother and sister have sex, it proved me wrong, Bo. It proved me wrong. And I got to tell you, I'm grateful that she didn't join in. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the Pornhub version, she does. This is the Lifetime version, so they, they ease back just a little bit. Fun fact, same disclaimer on that Pornhub version that you see on this movie. Yeah. Then we cut to Julian helping Kathy pack all her shit in his car. Uh-huh. And it's a real, like, Kathy's hugging Chris and then Carrie. And uh, she's like, I'm, I'm going to be a big star. A big shining star. And then she and Julian just kind of fuck off to New York. Yeah, they leave in his big red muscle car. <laughs> yeah, and so we immediately go to them at the ballet company. Uh-huh. Where we meet this director, George, that Julian had this fling with years ago. He's all like... People, people, we will be putting on a production of Romeo and Juliet. Romeo will be played by Julian, but Juliet will be played by someone else, a fresh face, that may or may not have to audition. Just kidding, she won't have to audition. You know, I might just go grab someone off the street, paint them in purple, put them on stage on opening night and see what happens. We are not the number two. Meat sucks. He is your companion dancer and he is a male tomcat that we found in the alley. So <laughs> he will be leading. Everyone in the audience has been given BB guns. Good luck, my friend. That does sound like a good time. If you told me I could attend a ballet where you got to shoot at the dancers with a BB gun. Well, now, Chad, now we're talking about some entertainment I can get behind. We are not number two for nothing, people. They come to our productions not because they are good, but because they are unpredictable. Take it from the number five podcast to something. We appreciate a number two of something, too. We then cut to Julian's flophouse apartment that's full of empty beer bottles and piles of dirty laundry. And Kathy walks in and she's really surprised to find out she's going to be sleeping on a mattress that has one, no bed frame, and two, most likely no bed linens. But three, it certainly does have a Rorschach of mystery stains for her viewing pleasure. She's got a real like, oh, well, this is a dump. Julian says, what is the matter? It is not uh, what you expected. Well, 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 it is time to pay the first month's rent. And so he starts trying to get it on with Kathy. Yeah, he's, he just grabs her. He just starts molesting her. It's a real access Hollywood tour bus moment. Yeah. And then as they're making out, uh, he's like, say you're mine. And she's like, uh-huh. And he's like, no, say it. I want to hear the words because I'm an incredible creep. He takes off her clothes and sticks his head between her thighs. Yeah. And so he eats her out while she makes her say that like all of uh, her body is his it's oh it is salacious and then we cut from that little treat of a seed over to chris who was at the hospital staring at babies when sarah the nick cersei's daughter comes by and is like you know what i like looking at babies too they're so sweet and innocent. I want to have babies someday with a handsome young doctor who's yourself. But you know what? I've said too much. It's hard to believe that all these babies someday are going to grow up and be somebody. And Chris is just like, not all of them. Not not the ones that were made from brothers having sex with their sisters. They're going to probably die because of the Bible or God. I think he's talking about Corey here, who is the, the one that shows up in the trunk later. <laughs> so I hate ballerinos and Julian. Thinks he's so cool, that red Mustang. And Sarah's like, yeah, well, those words don't make sense to me, but I guess I'm just going to have to go back to the gift shop where I work. So long pause. Yeah, and he's just like, around. oh, right, right. Act like a normie. Um, hey, uh, do you want to like go out sometime or something? Like maybe tomorrow? It's tomorrow, Saturday, February the 14th. Are you free? She's like, oh my gosh, are you asking little old me out for a date on Valentine's Day? Yeah, and she is very into this idea. Like, she is like, I finally got this dude on the hook. 
Chris says, I don't even know what Valentine's Day is. Is that where you go out with the woman who and your sister that you've had sex with twice and it was the most amazing sex you ever had with, but now she moved to stupid New York to dance in the stupid ballet with some stupid jerk named Stupid Julian? Um, so pick me up at eight. I'm just going to forget all that stuff you said about having sexual relations with someone you called your sister, and I'll just see you tomorrow on Valentine's Day or something. Bye-bye. I think that part of Sarah is like, oh, I got me one of them wrong way willies, but he's going to be a good husband because he'll never cheat with another woman. We cut back to Hogwarts where the whole class, including younger sister Carrie, they're all singing from this book of spells and potions. And the words that are coming out of their mouths are, we will only know the blessing of our father's sweet caressing. Gross. Yeah. Even in the empty spaces of this movie, it is completely inappropriate. It's like if Sergio Argones did the margin cartoons for Hustler magazine. <laughs> So this teacher is announcing at the head of the class, announces that all the senior girls are now going to be required to attend etiquette and dance instruction. Mm-hmm. There's an upcoming cotillion. And Carrie is overhearing some mean girls, which is a theme in our shows where there are uh-huh. always packs of mean girls, apparently. Sure. Well, they just roam neighborhoods these days. I see them all the time. Scare the shit out of me. Or they're so sarcastic, Chad. Uh, but they're talking about all their fancy dresses and, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to have some pretty glue that my mom wore and this girl looks at carrie and she's like carrie what are you gonna wear and carrie's just like Shh, i don't know the girl is like i bet you're gonna look like a real doll in fact you can borrow that stupid doll's outfit that you carry around all the time like a freak wait she carries around a baby doll in school yeah uh, you know yeah that kind of qualifies her as a target for mean girls you can't draw that kind of attention without paying the piper bow yeah so this mean girl like lifts up this doll and carries like hey that's mine and and the girl's like you know maybe that's why you haven't grown up maybe your mother's a freak too dude carrie comes out of her chair and she grabs this girl throws her on the table she's like bitch don't you talk about my mama yeah she's like get that name right out of your mouth the teacher jumps in and was like i'll see both of you in my office this afternoon nothing comes of that moving along right yeah don't forget all, all of that stuff ever happened and then chris accidentally interrupts Carrie, who is trying on some clothes, because Chris just can't stop looking at his half-naked sisters. Oh, sorry, I thought Kathy was in here getting half-naked. You know, you're kind of a smaller Kathy. Let me get on my knees. Oh, yeah, this is about right. Yeah, this uh, this works. This takes me back to the attic. But, but she tells him, like, when he's leaving, she's like, wait, do you think I'm pretty? And he's like, yeah, I think Am I as pretty as Kathy? Pretty enough for you to, you know, love me in the same way as Kathy? <laughs> he tries to play real dumb about this. This dude's like, I love both my sisters the same. You're confusing me. And then he just runs out and shuts the door before like that gets any weirder. How you don't vomit in your mouth at this point in this movie is a real mystery. (laughs) Oh, I was just clapping. It was so trashy. So anyway, at this ballet class, we go back to New York and Julian and this dancer Yolanda are practicing together while George is directing. You two, Romeo and Juliet. You over there, throw those buckets of pudding at them. Be sure you include the raccoons in the act. And then he says, these two dancers will become one. And he asks Kathy to step in. But while they're dancing, Kathy and Julian, you know, are doing the Romeo and Juliet routine. And he's like, so are you screwing him? And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, then he just drops her from eight feet in the air to the ground with a thud yeah 
just lets her fall to the ground. Where is the scene where Julian's jealousy is set in motion? There's no preceding action that would lead Julian to think that Kathy is having sex with this guy who I'm going to bet a dollar is gay that's running this ballet school or whatever the hell it is. And you don't even have a scene where George heaps praise on Kathy, like that he's jealous of her talent. So it didn't. Chet, we've got an hour and 28 minutes and we haven't even gotten to the rivalry between Kathy and Yolanda. We gotta move. Kathy gets up and her legs all busted. <laughs> and Julian goes over and he starts prancing around with, is it Yolanda? Is that who he is? And she's right. gonna get the part of Juliet. That's that, who's gonna get. Exactly. Later, we like Kathy st- grabs her bag and storms out all pissed off. And then when Julian comes home later, he's drunk. Yeah, and he's like, so how's your knee? And she goes, you dropped me, you dick. I'm Romeo. Yeah. You are nothing. Smash bang. I got you into the second best ballet company in New York. I showed you where the door was and held it for you, and you walked in. But you can't love me. Why can't you love me, Kathy? He throws that, like, you should be focusing instead of flirting when we're dancing, and maybe you wouldn't fall so much. It's a real dick move. I realize it is difficult to perform the moves when you are wearing unused condoms on your fingers and toes, but that is what you do for your art, Kathy. And and Kathy, because she is just such a weak character for most of this movie, until she's not. But she's like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And he grabs her up and kisses her. <laughs> and he says, uh, all the other girls in the company want to be with me. But why not you? Is it because I constantly flit around with a feather duster in my crack? That was my artistic decision. I thought it would make the production a little more je ne sais quoi. So Sarah and Chris, this poor girl, Sarah, they're having a lunch date. There's, is it Valentine's Day? Maybe? Maybe. Who cares? Yeah, they're just on a date. And Chris, yeah. uh, time's real fluid in this thing. Yeah. So Chris is complaining about Carrie. She's got a cotillion coming up and I don't know how to help her. I just know I'm not supposed to have sex with her. Sarah's like, what, what'd you say? What was that about having sex with your sister? Uh, she needs a dress. Well, I can help her out if she wants. I can help her buy a dress. I remember back in when I was going to the ball, I had a dress uh-huh. that just disintegrated uh, and my father had to go buy a slip. And oh my Lord, he was just this red face. And it's not because he was running. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, he's he's probably looking at your underwear and touching it. And then like <laughs> rubbing his face on it and stuff. My face gets so red whenever I grab my sister's underwear. I've got a pair in my pocket. I carry it around with me all the time. I pretend it's a handkerchief, but I don't blow out. I just breathe in her scent. So split a dessert. You're so funny how you're a doctor and you say all these doctor things. It's like medical talk. I swear. It's like I'm watching Marcus Welby MD or something. You're going to be so rich. You're so handsome. And and so later he's taking her home, you know, just thinking like pretty soon I'm go home and crank it. Think about Kathy. And Sarah is like, well, this is it. You know, you can go ahead and kiss me if you want. He leans in and he kisses her and he pulls back and he says, I don't know how to explain this, but when I kiss you, it's like I'm not kissing my sister. So you want to go to a movie on Friday then? Yeah, uh, I don't know. We'll go to a movie on Friday. Maybe we could go to a movie if you were to dye your hair blonde and change your name to Kathy and talk about all the times we spent together as kids and when we had sex and how, you know, it kind of feels like an abomination of nature in the eyes of man and God. Well, we can talk about that, but I heard Vertigo is playing, so we'll go see that and after the movie we can talk about it more. 
Back at the ballet. That's a good goddamn Hitchcock joke. (laughs) Back at the ballet company, Kathy finds out she didn't get the part of Juliet. And the ballerina, Yolanda, she gets the part. No surprise. Kathy showed up like three days ago. She's not going to get the lead in this production. You know? I don't care how many frogs she can put in her mouth. She's got a pair of dues, Bo. You would think. But Julian comes home that night after rehearsal and talk about drunk. He's like, get me an aspirin. This is going to be a doozy. She's scribbling a Dear Julian letter, but she just decides to say, You know what, Julian? I'm leaving you. I'm going home. My brother is graduating from medical school tomorrow. And Julian says, What is it with your brother? He snaps his fingers and you come running. I have nobody. And then he grabs Kathy and just starts choking her and then slams her face into a wooden support beam in this apartment. And he says, You belong to me. If any man gets between us, even if it's your brother, I'll kill him and I'll kill you too and i'm both i got excited because i'm like julian's gonna kill chris uh-huh. hopefully julian's gonna be let in on all this incest unpleasantry because i watched this movie alone and i didn't want to suffer all by myself this was starting to get good well i think the mistake there is forgetting who the hero of this movie is <laughs> And it's not Julian. No. And none of that happens. So Kathy immediately shows up at this graduation. Uh Uh-huh. Or it's a graduation rehearsal or something. Anyway, doesn't matter. No, she shows up at the graduation and Sarah is there taking pictures of Christopher in his graduation robe and younger sister Carrie's there. And Kathy comes walking up and Chris sees his sister and he immediately gets a boner that pops up under his gown and his tongue unfurls like a red carpet and he whips a cartoon mallet out from thin air and just starts banging himself over the head. Yeah, and Sarah's just like, oh my God, you must be Kathy. I have heard so, 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 so much about you from Chris. Uh, Like an uncomfortable amount. He's talked about how your skin is so soft. He's talked about how your breath smells at different times of the night. He's talked about the way that he imagines your toes tasting in his mouth. Um, He's shown me a collection of women's unmentionables that he claims belong to you. But why on earth would he have those? He's just so silly. He's such a silly, handsome medical doctor. He just says the silliest things. But I'm his girlfriend and I'm going to go inside with your little sister, Carrie here and i will leave you two to do whatever you do he's so silly and so chris uh as soon as that old bag is gone he yanks off kathy's glasses like, what is this uh, and he sees like the shiner she's got ha! Ah, i just fell backwards into julian's open palm as he was pushing my head violently towards a wooden support beam <laughs> and he was like you tell me if something was wrong right like if like you didn't have my penis in your vagina like you would you would definitely think that was a problem that you could bring to me because of how close we are i I would definitely do that in that scene fade to black yeah we immediately cut back to julian's apartment yeah where kathy shows up and the 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 place is dark and it's empty and then julian appears oh kathy i am so sorry i am so sorry for being so drunk and violent (laughs) he he gets on his knees he's like i'm sorry i gave you that to one the black eye if you are like kathy I'll give you a second black eye so you can perform with the raccoons. In Romeo and Juliet, you can be the queen of the raccoons. (laughs) Kathy, you are my raccoon queen. You know that. 
Oh, Kathy. I do anything you want, Kathy. Anything in the world. You are my sexual bandit, just like those raccoons. I will get a trash can and fill it up with scraps of food for you to eat, Kathy. I will bring you garbage on the top of a tin can like Heathcliff. Oh, Kathy. After promising that he'll do anything that she wants. Yeah, immediately cut to him outside the dance studio or whatever. Uh-huh. Wrapping up this glass bottle in in like a handkerchief, smashing it. Yep. And then he takes this, you know, rag full of glass yep. and dumps it in the bottoms of Yolanda's ballet slippers. It is an excessive amount of broken glass. Yes. It's not like one or two pieces. He took a full-size bottle, divvied it in two, and filled up her shoes like Santa Claus. Like a stocking, yeah. And so Yolanda immediately comes in. Like, the, the great thing about this movie, you do not have to wait for a payoff. Uh-uh. <laughs> so Yolanda immediately enters the dressing room. Out of my way, bitches. I'm putting on my shoes. Right, is a horrible person to everyone on her way through. And she, the principles of this ballet are coming through, you fucking peasants. And she puts on these shoes and just immediately collapses, screaming about her bloody feet. And right. Julian and Kathy just look at each other with a real, uh-huh, kind of look. Yeah. So Kathy is going to be the star of this fully nude disco blacklight hula hoop roller skate cocaine fueled ballet version of romeo and Juliet. sight she, she is the number two <laughs> the understudy because she's the only other person in the cast that has shown up for consecutive practices we cut over to heather graham and her husband bart winslow attorney at law uh-huh. and they're chatting about how shitty her mother is she says i'm gonna take an excessive amount of money and do a full scale renovation of foxwood hall the mansion that my mother Ellen Burstett still lives in. I mean, it's going to be a shit ton of money. We're never going to see the return on this investment. This is a real money pit type of project. Hell, if we flip it, best case scenario, we owe three times more than the whole place is worth. When he asks her, what are you going to do about your mother? And she says, she could just stay up there and stew at her own juices, which is filthy and disgusting. And then he, she says, if my mother won't move out, we'll remodel around her. And Brett Wilson, attorney at law, he knows to keep his mouth shut. He's like, all right, you're batshit crazy. Do whatever you want to do. It's your money. I mean, my money, but you can have it. Yeah, this is like just whatever keeps her happy. We cut back to Hogwarts, where <laughs> yeah. Carrie is frantically looking for something. And then one of the mean girls comes over and says, so are you looking for your little baby doll? The one your mother gave you? It's the only thing you have to remember by it. Well, it's upstairs in a storage closet. So then Carrie goes upstairs to the third floor storage closet. She opens it and she finds her doll hanging from a noose. And so she grabs the doll down. And then the mean girl show up and they're like, ha ha, you're a loser. And then they close the door, locking her in this closet. And Carrie starts screaming freaking out screaming help 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 mm. i'm guessing it's because she spent two of her first six years locked in an attic boat yeah i mean i think that would probably do it to you seems like this should be a little more traumatic and claustrophobic but it doesn't carrie just kind of tears down some shades and screams for help and then i guess somebody just showed up and let her out we never really find out it eh, doesn't really matter it, in the movie right it, we don't really mention it again i guess it's just to add to her eventual fate is more understandable or something anyway so kathy and julian are practicing with her in the lead as julian yet and the raccoons are dancing behind they her. got kayak oars in their hands they're chasing each around it's playing yakety sax it's a real good version of romeo and juliet there's a guy in an, in, an inflatable tyrannosaurus rex outfit chasing her <laughs> and it's all going really well and then carrie shows up in the wings yeah in new york city yeah and kathy is like what the fuck are you doing here 
And she's like, look, these girls are being mean to me. I just need a place to stay. So Kathy asks Julie, and she's like, hey, my sister just showed up. You know how you said you do anything I asked? Uh, is it okay if she stays a little while? Oh, there are two of you. Jackpot, you can stay at my flop house. She's like, you know, I can cook and clean. And he's like, oh, yeah, we'll figure out Have something. Have you ever cleaned the pipes? Oh, yeah. I will cook up a mess of trouble for you, my pet flower <laughs> look just don't get used to julian because he's got about three minutes left in this movie <laughs> so we cut over to uh heather graham who is talking to her interior designer and she's like no i want the whole thing rooted out i want it to look like a different house get rid of the door and put up drywall black out the stairs to the attic do what i say or i'll get a contractor who will yeah i like the fact that he's like hey you're closing off a lot of space like you're you're basically throwing money away here by plastering all this up and she's just like look i drew up these diagrams myself make it look like this ma'am this is an mc escher painting and the way that these stairs i do what i say or i'm gonna stop giving you money I'll find somebody who will do it. No, you won't. The laws of physics prohibit this. My daughter goes to Hogwarts. I know wizards. Or at least very competent magicians. She'll cast transphobicus on you. That's what you learn at Hogwarts. Anyway, so we we go to Sarah and the maid making a pie crust for some party. I just love making pie crust. I love learning things from uh, black housekeepers like you. You're so wise and you're you're so smart. And um, I like how you can't vote properly. Probably. Can you vote? Have you ever? You probably haven't. Why would you? Anyway, I'm going to marry a doctor. Chris rolls in and she's like, oh my God, Chris, look, I'm making a pie. I just got to get right by Saturday for that party we're going to. Oh uh, yeah, I, I won't be here for that party. I'm going to go to the, see my sister and uh, Romeo and Julieta out of sight or something. So <laughs> I'm not passing up the opportunity to see my hot sister dancing around in leotards that are all scared in tight with her muscles peeking through all that dancing sarah has at least to her credit there is about a three quarters of a second look that she gives him that's like oh my god i think that he might be you know what that's crazy sarah yeah it is you know what is you're just you're stinking thinking that's what you're doing sarah you know what chris baby you did not tell me that but that is okay and i think it is sweet how much you love your sister and i think it is even more adorable how much you sweat when you talk about her Uh and how your lip quivers uncontrollably and your hand just sort of moves back and forth in that motion all the time you know it's not exactly the same as her but hearing you talk about her is kind of good for me i'm gonna bake a pie with your your indentured slave or servant here uh, whatever she is slave or servant i don't know i'm not exactly sure i know we're in the south and this is incredibly racist i'm going to the bathroom he does that all the time he's so silly he hides in the bathroom and i hear him in there probably talking to his sister he's always calling out her name i think we have a phone in the bathroom but i haven't been able to find it <laughs> So anyway, sure enough, Chris goes to New York along with Carrie, apparently, who he does not mention in this scene with Sarah. He's just like, no, wasn't there a smaller Kathy around here a while ago? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he shows up in New York where Kathy is performing and she sees him and there's a look on her face like, oh, shit. Yeah, but he's standing in the wings. He's not in the actual 
audience with a bouquet. which i think is just a it's just a cheap way for this movie to avoid paying extras to sit in like 12 seats to make it look like he's in the actual crowd also chad think of how much cinematic daylight you're burning having all those extras filter into the place <laughs> then they all have a seat and then you got to get them back out again no 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 we're look we're on a i'm timer. surprised that he just take 10 members of the crew yeah have them sit around him but anyway <laughs> but you do the uh nutcracker movie a very nutty christmas where you just yeah. focus on like eight people in the audience real tight so he's there with this bouquet and meanwhile julian is in the dressing room with carrie well where else would the star of your ballet be but in the dressing room sticking his hands under the skirt of a 16 year old girl he doesn't go on until the rats do the whole carousel number i don't know. chris comes in the dressing room and discovers julian hey you get your damn hands off her if anybody's gonna molest my sister it's gonna be me and then Kathy comes in because why bother with the show at this point? Sure. And then the situation starts to get pretty tense in this dressing room. And Julian is like, look, I was clearly not touching your sister the way I touch you. And also, I think maybe he just needs to get laid, you know? <laughs> Chris punches Julian. Julian repeatedly punches Chris. Beats the shit out of him. Then Julian runs out the back door of the theater. Yeah. Which, this kind of stuff happens at the second best ballet company all the time, okay? Well, yeah, that's why it's second best. And, you know, look, <laughs> game knows game, Chad. I respect it. Julian jumps in his muscle car. Then our Juliet chases after him. She gets in the car and drives off. And you know that the audience, they came out and told them that. They were like, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Romeo and Juliet just left the theater in a Ford Mustang. And they're like... Woo! <laughs> Bravo! Now look under your seats. Encore. Two of you have a sticker. One of you will be Romeo, the other will be Juliet, and you will finish the production on your own. Get up here! Genius! <laughs> well, that's happening back at, at the uh, theater. <laughs> Kathy and Julian are in his car driving with ridiculously bad green screen around them. It's awful. <laughs> it's, it's really something. It looks like a Windows 95 screensaver. He's like, oh, I finally get it. I didn't realize until just this moment why it was you could never love me the way that I wanted you to love me. What are you talking about? You love your brother. And let me say, it's pretty hot. If you ever want a third, Julian is your guy. <laughs> you bastard. I'm only with you. Because up until this moment, I thought our child should know his father. And he has about, oh, I don't know, a second and a half to go, huh? And then, <laughs> Chad, a car slams into them. <laughs> On the Dude, driver's truck. side. Yeah, big ass they truck. They T-boned. I like that the camera pulls back and the muscle car is now flipped upside down. And it's in front of this Dick Tracy era blue pickup truck. And neither of them have any damage to the door of the front of the no, truck. No, those things are expensive, Chad. They're emitting smoke or steam or like stripper fog. And Julian is on the ground with one leg bit crookedly and his tongue is stuck out and they've painted X's over his closed eyes. <laughs> There's Hershey syrup under his head. Julian is dead. Fade out. Cut to <laughs> South Carolina 10 months later. Kathy's teaching a group of kids ballet in her studio? Question mark, I guess. <laughs> Kathy looks over and she sees a woman who she thinks might be her mom, Heather Graham, but it turns out it's just her stand-in or stunt double. And then Kathy is like, uh, sorry, I thought you were someone else. And then Heather Graham's a doppelganger. She pulls this movie's favorite stunt, which is tell us a whole bunch of stuff that happened off screen. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, it's just a shame that your boyfriend died in that car accident and that you survived, but you've got that beautiful baby over there in that stroller. I'm sure 
sure he's going to be a good dancer just like his daddy. But by now, and she walks up. My exact note here is, after all of that stuff that you just described, is, boy, a lot of stuff happens off screen in this movie. <laughs> and it does all the time. So we cut away from that because we've got our information dump that we needed. And we cut over to Carrie, who is singing, singing in a choir, Chad, and does a solo for yeah. All Things Bright and Beautiful or whatever the name of that song is. And then the reverend who is conducting all of this choir is like, uh-huh. Uh, hey, do you want a donut? Would you like a hot dog? Would you like a hot dog and a donut? You just slip the hot dog in the donut. Makes a heck of a sweet and salty snack. And she says, oh, I don't have much of a sweet tooth. And he goes, oh, I get that because, you know, you're so sweet and all. You don't need a sweet tooth because there's so much of the rest of you, like your sugar walls, that are sweet. Hey, why don't we go on a date, just you and me? Because you're so beautiful. And Carrie is in. She's totally in. And you're like, wait a second. Is he? What? Wait, how old is he? Keep going. It, I know. Uh, but also, is he? Is the religion okay with it? Anyway, none of this makes sense. And so then Chris comes home, and we see Sarah taking care of Kathy and Julian's kid, Jory is this kid's name. Is it Julian's kid? I was like, you know, she did have sex with Chris earlier. No, well. This movie has no concept of time. It might be his baby. I suppose it's possible, but she claims that All it's right. it's julian's and sarah's like i think this baby has carrie's eyes don't you think so i love babies when i marry a rich doctor that's you i want to have like 10 babies and i'm gonna give them all biblical names and you know what i think this baby looks like you chris and he goes he looks more like Corey. and she goes who yeah so who is that Corey you're, you're mentioning uh, i've never heard that name come out of your mouth before we've been dating it for a year now that's so weird who is Corey? oh uh, he's just the dead twin of carrie and uh he was the kid that kind of died when we were we were in that attic when me and kathy were in that attic and and sometimes you know she'd try on some bras and then there was that one time she tried on a bra and then yeah um yeah. I got, you know, real excited and I told her how good the bra looked and then we laid down. That is so, you tell the funniest stories. You are the funniest, handsomest doctor that I've been dating for the last year. And I'm so surprised you haven't told me that joke before. You are hilarious. <laughs> you should probably write jokes for Jack Benny or whenever the hell this movie is taking place. Not only is she relatively nonplussed about this dead twin she's never heard about. She's like, you know what? I don't think we should have secrets anymore more so if there's anything you feel like you need to get off your chest i think maybe now's a good time no i think i've pretty much told you everything we were in the attic for two years i had sex with my sister a bunch i got a dead huh? twin i collect her underwear i think you know know it all i you are just a stitch i swear when you become a doctor and i start hosting those parties you are gonna have everyone busting a gut christopher you are so funny it is like having a young patch adams here in our house <laughs> So, anyway, on this date with Carrie and the Reverend, uh, they're debating which songs to sing for some choir contest they're going to or some bullshit, and the Reverend then starts to put the moves on Carrie a little bit, and he's like, most girls your age are only interested in hairstyles and music. Movie magazines. There is something so pure and so innocent about you, Carrie. Something I want to step on and spit 
boil and make my own. You're so tiny. You're like a little doll. And I, I got a question I need to ask you, Carrie. Will you marry me? Because look, before Whoa. you say yes, I have a thing for very petite, tiny women who could pass for a child of nine or ten. And if we could get married, it would be a win-win. You get a husband and I don't go to jail for acting on my inappropriate sexual impulses. She does not run screaming from this dude, which is the appropriate response. No, cut to. Yeah, Kathy being very excited about like, hey, if you marry this reverend, we can have the wedding right here in the backyard. Let's do it this weekend. Let's get you married. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Let's, what's, what are we bullshitting for? And Carrie's like, look, I haven't said yes to this weirdo yet. We've been out exactly one time. And on date number one, he proposed. Then Kathy is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's perfect. You know, he's going to be good to you. He's nice. He probably isn't going to come around looking for sex that often. So you're kind of free to play the field if you had, say, a friend or relative that you were interested in. Carrie's response is, look, I just don't know. Remember in the first movie when we were the devil spawn because our mom, Heather Graham, had sex with her uncle and then made all us babies and now we're cursed forever. I just don't think that I could be a preacher's wife and be such a horrible person. And then that scene ends. Well, hold on, Chad let's get a little oh. finer in this detail she says how can i be a preacher's wife because that's why i'm so short because of the devil more than that chat she says you know chris was right about what happened with julian he was touching me and not only that i wanted him to oh yeah i, I blocked that part out and then that's where kathy is like i am so sorry i was not there to protect you from both of them quite frankly he didn't just touch me on the outside of my clothes he, he took his hands and he put him between my undergarments and my skin. And he reached. Just you know what? Stop. Hey, stop. But stop. How about you just zip it right there, Carrie? I appreciate the enthusiasm for detail, but and so Kathy is like, "Look, we are not our parents. We are not the sins of our parents. You forget mom. You forget about the attic. Marry this reverend weirdo and never look back." Because this is as good as it's ever going to get for a bunch of freaks like us. In that scene. And then we cut over to Heather Graham, who is at some charity luncheon. Yeah, some garden party. Kind of gossiping with some women about remodeling the house and stuff. Well, I'm remodeling my house. I'm going to board up my creepy old mother and let her suffocate to death, maybe. Just kidding. But I'm going to do it. But I'm just kidding. Unless I can think of a, a more horrible way to kill her. My only regret is it's not more violent. But yeah, and Heather Graham is like, excuse me for a minute, ladies. Seems my drinking poo is running on empty. And she goes to the bar for a drink. And when she turns around for, uh, after getting her refresher, there's Carrie saying, hi, mama. And Carrie is like, hey, all those letters that I sent you got returned. But I'm about to get married to this reverend weirdo. And it would be great if you could come see the disaster that's about to befall us all. And... Heather Graham immediately is like, well, you must be mistaken. I have no daughter. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And so Carrie is, of course, devastated. We cut back to like the farmhouse that they inherited. And Kathy comes downstairs and Henny, the housekeeper, she's there. And Henny says, well, Miss Carrie got up early this morning and she done made herself some bacon. She whipped up some donuts and she also said she was going to go maybe kill some rats in the basement. I figure seeing as she grabbed a couple of handfuls of that rat be gone before she went upstairs. And then Kathy looks over and sees the donuts and the big tube of rat be gone. And then she looks in the trash can and there's a bundled up bunch of letters written to their mom that all say, return to sender. I have no daughter it's a real like hey kids who do you think the killer is could it be hetty the housekeeper no 
Could it be Kathy? No! Could it be her mom? No! Well, who do you think killed Carrie? Carrie. Killed Carrie. Let's go upstairs and see if you're right, kids. Yeah, so this is, of course, a nod to how her twin brother died in the in the first film. Kathy runs into Chris and is like, hey, have you seen Carrie? And he's like, I didn't touch her. Uh, she's like, shut up about that right now. <laughs> Come with me. They rush to her room, and there she is lying in bed, dead after eating these poison donuts. Yeah, one bite. Uh, well, she's small. But <laughs> she she's is rat-sized. Chris is like, maybe one who loves true kiss could wake her up. <laughs> nope, she's cold and dead. That Chris, didn't work. stop it. Now is not the time. Chris and Kathy are later are arguing about what to do about Heather Graham, because Kathy's point is Heather Graham is as much responsible for Carrie's death as Carrie is, you know, even though she was the one who did it. it it's the old, uh, she cocked the gun and, and Carrie pulled the trigger. Well, all this talk about cocks and guns, by your logic, mom's responsible for that awesome sex that we have. Speaking of which, you want to go bang in Carrie's bed? She's not there anymore. Chris, well, not now. I'll move her soon, but not now. So Kathy is like, I want to hurt Heather Graham the way that we've been hurt. And Chris is like, look, if you go through some stupid revenge plan, I'm out. And she's like, no, Jack, you are all the way in. And she says, we are twisted, but not because of the devil. We are twisted because of what that woman did to us. And we are going to fuck her up. Oh, you want to have a quick bereavement quickie in the closet before you go have your revenge? Yes. We cut to Kathy going to the law offices of Bart Wilson, attorney at law. He's also the husband to mom, Heather Graham. And Kathy comes into the law office and she says, I need some help with some estate planning or blah, blah, blah. My dad left a house and my younger sister was murdered when she ate a donut filled with poison that she put in it. And it's the same way her twin brother died 11 years ago. Anyway, can you help me out with all this? And then Bart Wilson, attorney at law says, yes, ma'am, I can help you out with all that. And then Kathy sees a photo of Bart Wilson, attorney at law and her mom. And it's sitting on his desk. And Kathy says, is this woman who looks like an older version of me, your wife? She's so beautiful, but she's kind of old and haggard and not nearly as tight as I am. Did I mention I'm a ballerina? I work out a lot. And speaking of non sequiturs, do you have any children? He's like, I don't. It's a big regret of my life. My wife said she's allergic to children. (laughs) Her uterus shoots them out. Kathy is like, my mother used to say that if you cling to the past, you'll drown in a sea of tears. He goes, your mother sounds like a wise woman. She does. She sounds like Yoda. Has Yoda come out yet? Maybe. What year is this? 1970 something? There might be a Yoda running around. And Kathy says, yes, she was. Everything I learned about hurt, I learned from her, that woman in your picture. And he's like, you mean my wife? I mean, nothing. And also Bart looks at her legs. He kind of checks her out. He's like, yeah, you got some nice gam. He's definitely into Kathy, uh, which is, of course, all part of the grand scheme. And then we cut over to Nick Searcy, Dr. Father-in-law, talking to Chris in his office all about the pressures of being a, a doctor. And he's just like, look, boy, you've been dating my daughter for, I don't know, about a about a year and a half now. And oh, I feel so much longer than that. Well, Look, I don't know if you're familiar with the expression, uh, shit or get off the pot. Now, you're either going to shit, that means marry my daughter, or you're going to get off the pot. If I marry your daughter, I'm definitely going to shit. All right. Uh, Look, the point is, Chris, I need you 
to either let the girl go or put a ring on. Do you know where the phrase kissing cousins come from? And is there a version that involves brothers and sisters that's socially appropriate? I can't get into the ins and outs of genetic deformities. That It's not my specialty, son. And, and I think you're avoiding the question. What was the question again? Are you going to marry my daughter? Oh, is your daughter my sister? No. And what? <laughs> we cut to Kathy's apartment. Yeah. And redheaded Sarah shows up at the door to surprise Kathy. And she says, hi, Kathy. Look, Christopher, your brother, who strangely enough calls out your name when he's sleeping and he says things like, oh, yeah, right there. That's nice. Well, he doesn't know that I've come up here to Virginia to ask you to patch things up with him because whatever happened between you two, that is in the past. And I just think that Christopher, he needs to bury that bone with you one final time. OK, you two need to just get into a room and and just have it out once and for all. Just lay it out there for each other to see. Uh-huh. And I'm talking about the naked truth, mm-hmm. Kathy. I'm, That's what needs to be exposed I, between a brother and a sister. Okay? You need to come together. Just get inside each other to just truly understand how each other feels. Mm-hmm. Because he just misses you so much. I'm so on board. I'll tell you what. Will you wait here for a minute? I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. Do you have a phone in your bathroom? I think Chris does, but I can't find it. Yeah, I, you could say uh, we're going to be talking. <laughs> But immediately Sarah's like, hey, by the way, before, you know, you tickled the bean, would you be my maid of honor? Which seems Wait, crazy. you're getting married to who? Well, your brother's silly. I'm going to marry your brother, Christopher. This is a wedding ring on my finger. Oh, my and God. And Kathy's eyes get real big. Yeah. She's like, oh, my God. That's not his sister, his cousin, or his mother. How dare he propose to her? Well, immediately, Kathy is uh, getting it wet by meeting Bart Winslow, attorney at law, for a drink. Yeah. And he is just like, look, I hate to talk about my wife, but she is always renovating. It is a real something. She is spending money hand over fist. And there's this whole conversation about, like, Kathy saying, you know, you have a glamorous life. And he's like, sometimes I wish I was poor. And Kathy is like, look, you know, this is a real grass is greener kind of situation but the one thing that he has learned he says is that if you say yes to one thing it sure as shooting means you're saying no to something else and kathy is like oh you don't say i hate the sound of the word no you know what word i like bart winslow attorney at law i sure hope you tell me i like the word yes and cut immediately to Kathy moaning yes as Bart fucks her from behind. Yeah, but it's only for like a second and a half and then it's fade to black. It's very shocking and then it ends abruptly. Yeah, because we got an hour and 28 minutes. Also, it's lifetime, so you can't show everything. But yeah, it is a real like, oh, they're fucking okay. Because it's not for titillation. It's just a plot point. You know, that's the thing that's so crazy. Why would we stick around and watch these two have romantic sex with music and candles and rose petals on the sheets? You know, the way that it happens when you're having incestuous sex with your brother. Because they're not the she is not fucking the guy she's supposed to be with in the logic of this movie sure this is just gross commonplace adultery <laughs> yeah there's no subtle grace of your brother lover's fingertips across the exposed heaving bosom of his sister wife it's unsightly Bo. Yeah. so bart winslow attorney at law goes home to the older version of this uh-huh. uh heather graham and she is like in a chaise long going through paint samples and whatnot like the interior designer brought me paints I can't tell Periwinkle from Cornflower to Robinson. Uh, yeah. I say I can't believe I've hired such incompetence. 
Where are you off to, Bart Winslow, attorney at law? He's like, oh, I gotta go to work. But today's Sunday. Where are you going on a Sunday, Bart Winslow, attorney at law? Well, you know, that case I was telling you about, it is a rootin' tootin' mess, and I need to go. You know I don't understand that legalese. Be gone with you, Bart Winslow, attorney at law. Yeehaw! And then he just takes off to go fuck her daughter. She looks over and sees that he left his briefcase, and she's like, wait a minute. He needs that briefcase. That's where he works, inside there. And... In that briefcase, Chad, are his watch and wedding ring. And side note, as I was watching this, I thought, you know, I've, I don't think I've ever worn a ring in my entire life. I've only worn my wedding ring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a weird thing of like, oh, yeah. I, a lot of people do. What about a cock ring? You ever strap one of those on uh, for a good time? No, not a cock ring. <laughs> Benefits of, you know, naturally gifted, I guess. Never been a thing. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> Terrible. Cut to Bart and Kathy, who are have just finished fucking. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, I haven't been feeling well lately on account of being pregnant at all. <laughs> Oh, uh, what? Did I say something? Yeehaw, I didn't hear what you said. I was thinking about the upcoming Christmas party at my house. Yeehaw! And, he goes, and she says, you know, I'm kind of bummed because, well, it's my first Christmas without that sister of mine that just died that I told you about. My brother's getting married. Oh, yeehaw, that's sad. And then I'm even kind of jealous of this Christmas party that you're throwing that I can't come to it. Yeah, yeehaw, that makes sense. Look, yeehaw, I, I can't leave my wife just yet. I do love her, but I am falling head over heels for you. It might be a bit weird to invite your mistress to the Christmas party that you and your wife are throwing, but it's the holidays. Yeehaw! Consider yourself invited, young missy. <laughs> right. The ghost of Christmas yet to come said I should. The ghost of Christmas who just came said I should do it again. Yeehaw! <laughs> Kathy, cut to her just in a bathroom getting sick in a toilet. And as if that weren't enough of a visual cue for us, the dumb audience watching this movie, (laughs) she gets on a phone in the bathroom and is like, "Uh, yeah, this is Kathy not pregnant. (laughs) I was told to call the doctor's office for my test results, but I got Uh too morning sick to do it right away. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, good news, Mrs. Dollinganger. You're having a bouncing baby plot point. (laughs) So we go over to Sarah and Chris and Nick Searcy, who are at their place, I assume, like uh, Sarah and and the doctors. And they're kind of futzing around this dinner table and bouquets. And Sarah's like, well, I just got to have the right flowers. And it's a bunch of this business. Her dad says, well, you could walk down and with a bunch of weeds in your hand and you'd look as pretty as any thing in the whole wide church she says well daddy i can't believe that you won't let your most handsome talented doctor off for his honeymoon i just cannot believe it i'm gonna put my foot down stomp and that's where he's like well now i i'll tell you i have been running a bit of a long con on you two what did you do daddy here in my pocket i have two tickets to bermuda <gasps> and you are going to be leaving right <gasps> after the wedding <gasps> oh daddy you're the greatest daddy in the whole wide world Oh, anything for you, sweetheart. And and you there, Chris, I'll tell you, why don't you just call me dad from now on? Mm. Immediately, as an audience, you're just like, oh, shit, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> and then Kathy and Jorah show up uh, at this old happy scene. Who? Uh, Jorah is Kathy's kid from Julian. Oh, I didn't even catch the kid's name. Yeah. That's her baby? Yeah, Jorah. He's only in the movie like twice, this scene and another scene. He's a big deal in the later movies. But anyway, so he shows up and then Chris and Kathy have a very tight embrace as they are reunited yet again. 
Sarah grabs the baby. She's like, mm, I'm going to go change his poopy diapers. I just love changing poopy diapers. I cannot wait until I start having babies on my own. Let's go, little baby. Boop, 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 boop. And then later that night, Chad. Oh, my God. Chris is drinking some whiskey in an undershirt in his bedroom. Uh, it's a wife beater. Yeah. I was shocked that he poured it into a glass. <laughs> sure. If they really wanted to put a nice point on it, he should have been swigging it out of the bottle. And Kathy kind of slinks into the room. In a nightgown. Uh-huh. And she says, when did you start drinking whiskey? Alone. In the dark. Yeah. And he goes, you don't know everything about me. I do lots of stuff you don't know about. You should really get some sleep. You're getting married tomorrow. I'm not tired. Sarah's beautiful and she's going to make a great mom. Look, all that is true, but there's one big stupid problem with that, Kathy. Tell me all about your problems. Tell me all about why I rub your big muscles. Well, what's the problem? Oh, she isn't you, Kathy. She isn't you. And then he kisses her and he says, Mm -hmm. all I've ever wanted is you. And she's like, I love you too, Chris, but we can't be together. But this is gross. It's not sexy or romantic. There are certain movies that I've never seen, and I don't ever want to see them because of the subject matter of the film. I never saw The Human Centipede because I heard what that's about. I didn't watch that movie Teeth with the vagina Ooh, with the that teeth was good. in it. That's a hard pass. Yeah, it's no a good pun movie. Intended. I didn't watch that movie Jack with Robin Williams where he's a grown up kid who gets old and he's going to die at the end. Don't want to see that. <laughs> And all of these V.C. Andrews movies, they're in that same category. See, for me, there is is a lot of fun in bad pulp. And that's what all of these are. Yes, they're incredibly salacious and they tackle taboo subjects, but they do it in such a ham-fisted and campy way that it's not a spanking the monkey or something like that. It's just silly. And that's what I adore about it. But yeah, so speaking of the silliness of this, like as they're kind of making out... Sarah comes in and is like, hey, you guys, I just want to, oh, my Lord, (gasps) this explains so much. The jig, as it is known by some beau, is up. Yeah, it's a real, like, you guys got to get the fuck out of here. Like, the very next scene, like, after Sarah rushes in and and just is horrified by what she's seen, we immediately cut to them, like, hugging Hetty. Yeah, in their house, and she's like, oh, babies, God will forgive you. And I'm like, what did they tell Henny? Yeah. You think that Henny's comment was just a general God forgives all sins? Or do you think they told her about how they had sex multiple times and how Kathy got pregnant and had a miscarriage and how she's now pregnant with Yeehaw Junction's baby? (laughs) They didn't tell her that. She prefaces this, though, with, I don't care what people are saying. So clearly, the news is out. She knows why God will forgive them. She don't know all the details. No, 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 no. Not all the details, but she knows that they got caught making out at the very least. Also, just side note, all the appliances in the kitchen where this scene takes place, they're way too modern. They're all stainless steel. There's not a hint of avocado when it comes to the fridge or the dishwasher to be seen. Yeah, and those colors should have been used. Uh, Because I assume at this point it's like late 50s, early 60s, something like that. I have no idea. At any rate. I thought it was the 70s, but shit, I don't know. So there's a Yoda running around. It's definitely the 80s. So Kathy (laughs) is telling Chris like, hey, you can practice medicine somewhere else. And Chris is like, shut up, Kathy. We're both finished. There's only one place crazier than Florida for us to run to. And it's California. And we start a new life out there where we bang all the time. Kathy says, Christopher, I can't go to California just yet. You see, I'm pregnant with the child of Bart Winslow, attorney at law. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. His reactions are real. 
what? He's not even your brother or stepfather. It's so gross. You love him? No, I love you, Christopher. But she says, I've got to finish what I started. And I guess that means this baby. And Chris is like, all right, well, if you're going to do that weird thing with that Bart Winslow, Saperni uh, paw, I'm going to go with you. All right, quick question. If you're pregnant with his baby, can you get pregnant again with my baby? So we can have sex a whole lot and it's okay? Wait a second. Whose baby are you carrying? Which one is Jory? We get an establishing shot of Foxwood Manor again with some real cheap Photoshop Christmas wreaths on the front to remind us that there's a Christmas party that's going to be going down. And we then see Kathy wandering around inside this mansion. How did she get in? Who cares? Maybe she climbed back through that window that she escaped from 10 years ago. And apparently the renovation of this place also included the building of houses outside the home because there are clearly houses outside of the home in which they shot this movie that you can see through the window. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a little bit of voiceover going on here where you hear Olivia, a.k.a. Ellen Burstyn, saying it's lines from the first movie where she's like, God, she's everything you do behind my back. Don't have sex with your brother. Right. And so Kathy is swiping a dress out of the closet that apparently was moved back in. And she hears Olivia calling out. The grandma. Help! And Kathy goes to find old, bald Ellen Burstyn in bed. And she's like, do you know who I am? Yeah, I know you are, you goddamn, you spread your legs for your brother, you devil spot. And Kathy goes, you're a pathetic old hag. Oh, which is a line that does my heart good. And then they're they're going back and forth about like, you killed Corey and Ellen Burstyn. It's like, I didn't kill him. Your mother killed him. You stupid kid. You don't think I know what was going on in that attic with you and that other one? Then Kathy <laughs> just grabs a knife and puts it to her throat. I thought it was a crucifix. Maybe it's a crucifix. It's knife. got a, yeah. It's got a Jesus handle. As she's holding it to her throat, there's a really good Ellen Burstyn. Do it. Just spitting in her face. And Kathy throws the knife away, throws it into a mirror that that cracks. And she says, "I'm not you, and I'm not my mother." That's bullshit, Christ. She's like, "You can leave Foxworth Hall, but you can't escape your family." Stupid whore slut fucking her brother in that. Scene. Yeah. Cut to Chris and Kathy getting ready for the Christmas party that they're about to crash, which by the way, you know, they have been fucking a lot since they were found out because now the gloves are off. I did not see that at all. <laughs> That's your own. That is my interpretation. Bo Ransdell fan fiction. Yes. Or maybe it was in the book. Who knows? I'll never read it. I mean, look, if, is it going to take me more than an hour and 28 minutes to read the book? Then fuck you. <laughs> I got everything I need right here. After just like sweaty brother, sister fucking for weeks, they're like, look, are you sure you want to go through with this, Kathy? We could just go to California, like you said. And Kathy is like, look, I went to that house and she plastered over that door and the attic and she wants to gloss over all this and make it shiny and pretty like it never, ever happened. And I'm not going to stand for that. All right, you want a quickie before we go embarrass your mom? Yes. <laughs> the answer is always yes with these two. So Heather Graham, show, this is pre-Christmas party. She goes to Ellen Burstyn and uh, she's like, We're having a dinner party tonight. Put on a dress and a wig for God's sake. Your bald head makes you look like Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Speaking of final chapters, you're going to a nursing home tomorrow, you old bag. 
She's like, I don't want to go to the party. And th- that's where Heather Gam- throws it at her of like, you better go to this party because you're about to go that shitty home. Like, you better enjoy this, bitch. And then Heather Graham is like, I make the rules in this house now. I'm about to take my rightful place as head of Foxworth Hall. And Burston is like, uh-huh, I got plans and heather graham there's a, a bit here where she tells ellen burston when you know burston says something about like if they knew what you were really like something like that and she's like look no one is gonna care about the the rantings of a crazy old woman which comes into play later and then right. heather graham goes to find bart winslow attorney bart winslow law. attorney at law right in the bathroom chad he's shaving wearing nothing but a towel uh-huh. also bart winslow attorney at law he works out yeah he's pretty ripped yeah built like a brick shit house yeah and she starts disrobing him from you know removing the towel who called you earlier bought winslow attorney at law it was just some client y'all and she is grabbing his dick and just stroking him off she wipes some shaving cream off of his face as lube uh-huh. and just starts jerking this guy off uh-huh. in the mirror they're looking at each other in their eyes she's like i know i neglected you during the renovation of this house but i'm gonna be taking care of you now and i know that you've been seeing another woman but i don't want to know anything about her you just end it we'll put it behind us and we'll never speak of it again right and then she stops jerking him I off. feel like he popped. I think, I think, think, yes, I think he finished. I figured it was either just a huge disappointment or a mess that someone else is going to have to clean Man, up. The fact that we are saying, and then this woman jerks off her husband to tell him to stop having an affair before uh-huh. this Christmas party scene. How is this not the best movie we've ever talked it's about? It's a Christmas to remember, bro. We get to this Christmas party. It's in full swing. Heather Graham is holding court. Yeah. It's a real low rent Gatsby affair. She's chatting up friends about all these renovations that she's done ellen burston is being wheeled around the party and then heather graham excuses herself because it's time chad for the toast yes and so bart winslow attorney at law and heather graham kind of mount the staircase and address the crowd that has come for this christmas party they're on the lower platform of the staircase and then behind them is the majority of the stairs that goes to the second floor right and so bart winslow attorney at law is like i just want to say a big thanks to my wife who jerked me off a little while ago. Yeehaw. 12 years ago, I fell in love with this mom, Heather Graham, at this exact house at a Christmas party, maybe. Let's all raise a glass to Foxworth Hall and my crazy-ass wife who jerks me off. She always keeps things exciting and new. Yeehaw. And as they're toasting Corinne, uh, a.k.a. Heather Graham, the film turns into the movie Tootsie. <laughs> only better. Because <laughs> Kathy comes down from higher on the stairs. And she is wearing the gown that Heather Graham wore. Bravo, mother. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) From the first movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. And she lets it go. It is, this bitch had us uh, locked away in an attic for several years while she met this guy, all to get into this wheel, just spills the beans on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, as she spills the beans saying that Heather Graham had kids and she's like, and some of you all look surprised to share that she had children, two boys and two girls. By the way, she poisoned one of them with a donut. And then <laughs> Heather Graham looks to Ellen Burstyn. Tell him it isn't true. Tell him it isn't true, mother. Yeah. And then Ellen Burstyn says, no one wants to hear the rantings of an old woman, you stupid bitch. Bart Winslow, attorney at law, his eyes are as big as saucers looking at Kathy. Then he looks back at Heather Graham and he's like, that's your daughter? Yeehaw! 
You people are crazy! You locked up your children in the attic? Damn, you do keep things exciting, but not in a good way. Yeehaw! Then Bart kicks everybody out of the house. Uh-huh. Heather Graham tells Bart, You gotta have my daughter abort that child. <gasps> After jerking him off, she calls for an abortion. Yeah, right. <laughs> this oh, this movie, Chad. And then she storms upstairs. Bart is like, Yeehaw, can I have a minute alone with Kathy, y'all? <laughs> and everyone's like, Uh, yeah, yeah, you guys take five. Sort this shit out. <laughs> and Kathy is like, Look, I'm really sorry about all this. I actually do kind of care about you, but you know. And he's just like, what in the fuck happened? (laughs) My entire life just blew up in the space of like 90 seconds. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? And uh, Heather Graham goes to Ellen Burstyn's room and once more is like, nurse, get the hell out of here. And Heather Graham is like, mother, why couldn't you love me? Ellen Burstyn says, oh, I loved you. I even got a present for you. I had your workmen go up into the attic and bring down some precious souvenirs. And then Mom Heather Graham, she goes over and she opens up this footlocker. It's like a small luggage crate. And inside this box, she starts pulling out stuffed animals one by one. And then you hear her go, oh, my poor baby. And then Christopher shows up and he says, mother? Yeah. And dude, here, Heather Graham just has a break with reality. Yeah, completely snaps. Yes. (laughs) She rushes over to him and grabs his hand and goes, feel my belly. Look, you can feel him kick. We could move to Pennsylvania. No one there will know us. It's going to be a boy. And you know what? We'll name him Christopher. And you're like, okay, so she's talking to her son as though he were the father of these kids, her uncle, husband, baby daddy from the first movie. Yes. Yes. Christopher Sr. was her husband. And she is treating him like Christopher. So he's Chris Jr. Right. When all of this pops off, Chris looks over at Ellen Burstyn. Uh Uh-huh. And in a legitimate, this is why this woman won Oscars. She just goes, don't look at me. That's the funniest line in the whole movie. It's amazing. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, this isn't the movie accidentally being entertaining or anything. This is Ellen Burstyn knew exactly what she was doing with this delivery. And it is fucking dead nuts. It is so good. Heather Graham says, we could start a family like I always dreamed of. And then she leans in to kiss her son on the mouth. And Christopher pushes back and he's like, whoa, I'm your son. That's gross. A mom and son kissing on the mouth like their brother and sister. What is wrong with you? (laughs) And she says, don't you love me? We must hide the body in the attic and never speak of this again. Right, And this is where Chris learns that his brother, Corey, was never buried and was just thrown in this trunk. Yeah, it's a real blink of an eye and you'll miss it because you do see this kid's rotting corpse. Yeah. You know, it's been there for 10 plus years. And he's like, Corey, he didn't even bury him. And while Chris is uh, like holding this little E.T. corpse, Heather Graham is just like, oh, I've got a good idea. And she grabs some candles and just starts Uh setting all the curtains on fire. Yeah. And then looks at Ellen Burstyn and says, well, goodbye, mother. And then just sets Uh her bed on fire. She starts shrieking in pain. (laughs) Chris grabs Heather Graham and runs her out of the house. Down the stairs, out the front door. Right. And then Bart, who was inside the house, sees Mm -hmm. the fire or or like all the smoke and stuff. And he rushes upstairs. I gotta go save Grandma. Well, her and I think he he thinks that Heather Graham is still up there. 
Oh. I I think. Uh, but he runs uh, upstairs while the house is burning around them. And then Chris and Kathy and you don't see her, but Heather Graham is out there. She wasn't around for filming that <laughs> No, day. 100% not. Heather Graham, we need you to lay down on the ground at night. What? I don't think no, so. No, I won't be there for that. Thank you. This shitty CGI house kind of collapses on itself. And then, Chad, we cut to six years later in California. Yep. And Chris and Kathy are now just a, a regular schmegular married couple right. who are taking care of Jory, who is uh-huh. Julian's kid, and the okay. new kid whose name is Bart. Baby Bart Winslow, attorney at uh-huh. law. Infant at law. And they have assumed the <laughs> Dollinganger name again. Good idea. Right. Like, who's going to be looking for those freaks? And one of the, the friends that they have at this kind of backyard cookout that they're having in, uh, is like, oh, I swear, you Dollingangers are just so perfect. What is your secret? Uh-huh. And there's this momentary, like, dark look that passes over Kathy's face where she's like, oh, well, you know, most of my children were conceived of hate and I'm fucking my brother on the regular, but I don't know. Other than that, we seem to have it pretty nailed down. We then cut to a loony bin. <laughs> a giggle factory, yes. Heather Graham is shuffling around in a gray smock and she's rambling about her kids and the camera is spinning wildly around her, symbolizing her madness. Bro. Mm-hmm, I get it. And then we fade to black the end. Yeah, she, like her just shouting, I need to find the key. I'm not like my mother. I'm not like my mother. I mean, chef's kiss, Chad. It is, it is superb. It is pure front to back trash and it is wildly entertaining. <laughs> It's wildly gross. It's uncomfortable to watch. I had a hard time watching Flowers in the Attic. I was really put off, not just by the incest stuff, like the the heavy-handed like religious stuff and people getting beat and just all of it. I was like, this is terrible. And then this one was a little more over the, oh, excuse me, this one was a lot more over the top. And it felt like, I don't remember exactly which Warner Brothers cartoon it was with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. And it's just, it like starts off like one of them has like a slingshot. Then the other one has a bigger slingshot. Then it's a pistol, then a uh-huh. shotgun. And then it's like a small handle axe. Then it's a huge axe and it's a cannon. Then it's a bomb. Like the whole movie is just having a battle with itself where on the back half of it, every single scene is a progressive arms race of nuttiness <laughs> yeah it's terrific it's horrible i've seen all of these Dollinganger series movies as i said is this the best 100 percent, it, it's the best one okay the last one has its moments because you have a crazy heather graham coming back and it's a real okay. like evil brother versus good brother thing with jory and bart uh-huh. it's okay it's uh, of all of them it's probably number two on the list but it's a big drop off after pedals on the wind pedals on the wind is like we were talking about like brother and sister fucking before you hit the 20 minute mark there are crazy car crashes people are getting punched in the face women men children everyone there's suicides and adultery and illicit children and lest we forget uh, another mention of the incest it's just bonkers do kids have sex children don't have sex in this and not in this movie that was the first movie the first that's why the first movie has to take it a little more seriously because you're dealing with kids who are underage Mm -hmm. this movie though is just like no they're adults now they're doing whatever the fuck they want i mean it's one of those things you just have to separate reality from fantasy the reality of incest and so forth is horrifying and horrible and so forth but this pulpy trashy use i mean it's the equivalent of watching like a jerry springer show or something like that only 
only it's fiction. Yeah. So on that level, I, I find it highly enjoyable, but no, it's not a movie you can recommend to someone without a million asterisks and, and caveats. But for a certain kind of person, which is me, this is like a, an absolute hoot. I, I howled while I was watching this. You know, speaking of movies about kids having sex. Oh, yes, please. On the next episode of this season's theme, Once in a Lifetime, we're going to be featuring a movie that's full of children having sex with each other. How do you like that, Bo? I love it. Well, I don't know. Give me more. I can't tell you whether or not any of these kids get pregnant, although I'm sure some of them do, but they definitely get syphilis. A lot of them do. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm talking about the Lifetime movie, She's Too Young, starring Oscar-winning actress Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay Harden doesn't seem too young. Well, she's not. She's the mom of one of the girls who is way too young. In fact, she is the mother of the one who is too young in the title, She's Too Young. She's the she. She's the mother of the she and the she's too young of the title of the film. Okay, now I finally understand. Now, but this movie is based on a true story, unlike this trash we just watched, which was all made up. Uh That should be better than. This is about a bunch of kids in the suburbs of Atlanta in the late 90s that were so bored, they all just decided to get together and have indiscriminate sex with one another and contract VD left and right. Yeah, I've had that summer. If you're interested in doing a little homework, there is a documentary film called The Lost Children of Rockdale, and it's available from the fine people over at Frontline over on PBS that tells the story of teenage malaise ending in freaky de sex parties amongst a bunch of wealthy white kids in a atlanta georgia suburb oh and as a little cherry on top i forgot to mention that the school featured in this documentary film and the source material of our episode five movie was also the location of a school shooting just weeks after columbine occurred so that happened too well now that just sounds depressing now i, w- I want to go back to the incest Happy New Year, Bo. (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2021. It's only going to get worse. So come back and see us in two weeks' time, where we will be discussing the Marsha Gay Harden flick, She's Too Young, featured on the Lifetime Network in, I do believe, 2004, or somewhere close to that. So as always, like, rate, review, drop us a line. Tell us what you think. If you have ideas for seasons, we are still pulling together our 2021 lineup, and we are fielding ideas so Bo (sighs) any final thoughts on Pedals on the Wind I just never want this episode to end I only want to keep talking about Pedals on the Wind I want to stop it right now and go take a shower with a Brillo pad and Clorox bleach everyone contact me on social media and we will talk about Pedals on the Wind more I will do it anytime (laughs) anywhere (laughs) we'll see everyone in two weeks time please don't contact me (laughs) 